Morning, Bethel. If you wouldn't mind, um, stand with me in honor of God's word and turn to Isaiah 51. I'm sorry, 50 and 51. So page 611 in the Pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible, um, there's, a, there's one in the pew in front of you, and you can turn to page 611. And we're going to read verses, chapter 50, verse 4, through chapter 51, verse 8. Okay? And this is our, the text we'll be studying together this morning. This is God's word. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all, who, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with, tor- with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving in the voice of song. Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation, for a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. My righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me, and for my arm they wait. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath, for the heavens vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment, and they who dwell in it will die in like manner." But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation to all generations. This is God's word. You may be seated. Okay, so we are continuing our study in Isaiah. We started back into it after a hiatus doing this gospel culture series. Um, We started back into it last week and looked at um, chapters 49 and the beginning of chapter 50. So this morning we're going to pick up in Isaiah 50 verse 4. So if you weren't here last week, I'll just do a brief little um, 
recap reminder of, of where we are, especially if Isaiah is unfamiliar ground to you. So Isaiah is a big book, um, but it basically breaks down into two main parts. Isaiah 1 to 39 is mainly about rebellion and judgment. So God's people, so-called, had forgotten about God. They had basically just stuck their fingers in their ears. They didn't want to hear from his prophet, Isaiah. I mean, this guy had a tough job. You remember his commission back in chapter 6? The Lord said to Isaiah, remember he said, Here I am, send me. Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So Isaiah said, Ah, how long, O Lord? And the Lord said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And that's exactly what happened. So the Lord removed his people far away from Judah, their homeland, from its capital city, Jerusalem, the city of God. He used this pagan superpower, Babylon, to do it. They came and they burned the city to the ground in 586 B.C. They carried off the people to Babylon as exiles, just like it said there in chapter 6. So this is, for instance, how Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how they end up in Babylon, how that whole fiery furnace thing happened. How did the de- that was because of this. It's how they got there. So, Nevertheless, despite the stubbornness of their rebellious hearts, Yahweh wasn't about to abandon them forever. He had a plan. So certainly the judgment would come at the hands of the Babylonians, and it did. But just as certain was the restoration that God had planned. And nothing was going to get in the way of that coming to pass. So before Isaiah died, tradition has it that he was sawn in two. God gave him the opportunity, so he wasn't popular all the way to his death, okay? So God gave him the opportunity, though, to announce to future generations the comfort and restoration that God would bring. So literally more than 100 years before its initial fulfillment. So like Isaiah died before they even went off into exile. So he's announcing this way, way, way in advance, And then several hundred years before its ultimate fulfillment, this comfort that was coming in the Messiah, Jesus. And that's, again, what we find in Isaiah 40 to 66 is this comfort, this hope that's coming. God's going to do a work, and he's going to comfort his people and restore them. So chapters 40 to 66, that's the second half of the book, are written for a people that are far away from home. They're exiles, and they're under this kind of stifling, sometimes oppressive hand of a foreign power. So they felt like exile, with all of its challenges, was the problem. Even in exile, it it hadn't gotten through that it was really their hearts that were the problem. They thought God was the problem. Why isn't he acting to deliver us? So they probably felt like it was dusk. Well, it can't get much worse, but it just seems like night is coming. There's no hope. It's hopeless. But the Lord wanted them to know that it wasn't dusk. It was actually the dark before the dawn. So Isaiah 40 to 66 is talking about the coming day, the light, the dawn that was coming. Okay? So that's kind of the big picture. Now let's dive in. Look at the beginning of chapter 50. Remember how I said they thought that 
God was somehow not coming through. Look at verse 1. Thus says the Lord, where's your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Okay, so God spoke at times metaphorically of him as the husband and his people as the bride. And so he's saying, I didn't send her away with us. I didn't divorce her. It's her infidelity, not mine, that's the issue. It's your sin, okay? The problem is that none of you are paying attention to my word. You're sticking your fingers in your ears. So look at verse 2. Why when I came was there no man? Why when I called was there no one to answer? So that's the issue. And so then, out of the silence, we hear someone speak up. And this voice says, here I am, send me. And it's not Isaiah this time. It's this servant. It's this wise, wonderful counselor, we'll see, who's the model disciple. And so it's intentionally in contrast to the unresponsive people of God. The servant of God is perfectly attentive to the word of the Lord. Do you see it here? Look at verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. So that's kind of a strange phrase, the tongue of those who are taught. It means that the servant is a disciple, okay? And he's not just any disciple. He's well-trained. He's competent. God has spoken, and this one has paid attention. And he is a faithful, well-trained disciple. He's learned. He's competent. He's like a sage. He has God's words in his ears, and so he has God's wise words on his tongue. Okay? He may, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. So he knows how to sustain the weary with a word. You could say he's a wonderful counselor. Okay? So no wonder Jesus is known for saying, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So he can sustain us with just a word. Do you, do you know that that's true? Like, I'm jealous that all of us would know that that's true, experientially, personally. Like, have you experienced that where the word, the words of Jesus, the word of God is so strong the promises are so reliable because they come from him, because he's so strong and he's so reliable that they can sustain us in our weariness, even if you feel you're in the darkness. You experience that? Like I know for me, I could go, Psalm 23 has done it numerous times. Just a word. And it's literally just sustained my soul for I don't know how many times I could... Go back and, and just recount stories. Or the text in 2 Corinthians 12, my grace is sufficient, my power is made perfect in your weakness. That word has sustained me. You have some stories along those lines? <laughs> if not, what are you listening to? Who's got your ear? I know I've heard testimony. I know we didn't do so well this morning. That's okay, there's grace. Um, with the fighter verses, I've heard testimony of how they've been so timely to sustain people at just the right time. Like Brother Al, cancer, right? And some of the, the words of 
grace against fear and anxiety that were so timely as they were heading into that surgery. And maybe you have similar stories. So you know what? Community group. Share those stories with your community group. Give testimony to how Jesus has done this for you. He's sustained you in your weariness with a word. And that encourages us to be people of the book, to get our ear listening to the right voice. Okay? So morning by morning, let's keep going here in the text. Morning by morning, he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. So again, unlike the unresponsive people of God at the time, We saw that back in verse 2. The servant is responsive to God's word. So he's this model disciple. He's listening. He's becoming wise. Remember how Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature, and he loved sitting in the temple. It's beautiful. This This is him. So he also listened and followed his father even when that meant suffering and disgrace. He suffered willingly. Look at verses 5 to 6. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I wasn't rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. So listen, many of us are really familiar with the story, the story of Jesus' life, suffering, death. Isn't it easy to get emotionally disengaged from the shock of what was going on? Like, to really feel it? Listen to this again. Just maybe close your eyes. Listen to this. Picture this. So Pilate, having scourged Jesus, bare back, spread out like this on a pole, leather strap with bits of broken pottery and stone sharp, tearing into his back, just like there probably wasn't much that wasn't wide open on his back delivered him to be crucified, and the soldiers led him away inside the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! This is almighty, omnipotent God in the flesh. Like, can you imagine... Imagine some like superhero movie where, you know, Bruce Banner, you know, gets treated like this. You're like, look out, you know, the green guy is going to come, you know, and it's just like, this is true. He's like an ant compared to who Jesus was in the flesh. Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed. Can you picture this? Just bam, hitting him in the head with this reed kneeling down in this faux homage to him. They mocked him and they stripped him of the purple cloak, put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to be crucified. So you and I, just like the Israelites of old, were born with this natural inclination to stick our fingers in our ears to God's voice. I mean, kids are pretty good at this with their parents' voices. (laughs) We're even better at this with God's voice naturally. And what did God do? What did we get for our willful deafness? We got a perfectly responsive disciple Messiah that listened to his Father 
heading right into suffering for us to save us from our deafness. He obediently suffered for our rebellion. He was disgraced for our disgraceful rejection of him. So how did he do this? What sustained him? How, well, he had help. <laughs> Look at verses 7 to 9. He was helped by the Lord, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. Do you remember in Luke 9, it says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Nobody was going to divert him from his course. He was doing this for us. He set his face like flint. And I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. So don't even let the thought enter your mind or your heart that God is aloof and doesn't care about what we go through or how we suffer, especially how we suffer unjustly, because the servant is proof positive that God is not aloof. He knows. He cares. He's been there. Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So I don't know if he caught it, but look, look back at verse 6. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. And then verse 7, but the Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. How's that? Well, have you ever seen a movie where like the superhero is in his normal civilian clothes and then there's that idiot punk in the bar or the diner? Why is it always the diner or the bar? Okay, um, who picks a fight with him? And you're like, oh, I know where this is going, you know. And he ridicules him and he mocks him. And then he realizes who he's dealing with. Or maybe later on in the movie he comes back and gives that guy his, you know, what he has coming to him. So though he was disgraced, he was not disgraced. But that's usually because the superhero gets revenge. He gets even. That's not what happens here. The servant is disgraced, but he's not disgraced because of the help of the Lord God. The Almighty Sovereign Lord, He is the one who will vindicate the servant. No one can ultimately accuse the servant when the Lord knows that He's righteous. And besides, those adversaries that are disgracing Him, they're, they're just going to wear out and be no more. Okay, so the whole point of bringing that up is the servant has to suffer for us to save us, right? But the servant is also a model disciple. And the same thing that enabled him to handle that suffering, that disgrace, is what enables us to handle that disgrace without retaliation. Do you see that? So, yes, he suffered in our place because we couldn't suffer enough to pay for our sin. But he also suffers, as a, suffers as, a, as a model for how we are to live in this fallen world. So we need to see how, how he does what he does so that we can follow suit. So how can you be disgraced without being disgraced? Well, with the help of the Lord God. So think about it this way. I, I mentioned Jackie Robinson, I think, a few weeks ago. He was disgraced, right? Horribly so. 
as he tried to break the color barrier in Major League Baseball, he did not respond disgracefully. And so ultimately, he was not disgraced. In fact, he was vindicated, and his enemies were ultimately shown to be the disgraceful bigots that they were. So do you see how the pattern of the servant is the pattern for us as well? So 50 verses 4 to 9 is this song about the servant. Um, We've seen two other songs already about this servant, one in chapter 42, one in chapter 49. And in this one, the Messiah is pictured as this this learned disciple of God. He listened, did just what God said. He's the true sage. He's the true wise man. We should listen to him. And we should want to listen to him because he knows how to sustain us with just a word. He knows how to sustain the weary with a word. So are you weary? Are you listening? You can't be sustained by what you can't hear or what you're not hearing. Okay? So there's really two responses to this servant that are laid out next. We'll see them in verses 10 to 11. Look at the second point there under the heading, listening in the dark. Look at verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys, which is literally listens to, the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. So following Jesus, this servant, this perfect disciple, does not mean that we won't go through darkness, the darkness of suffering, trials, confusion, doubts, uncertainties, persecution. Okay, remember Psalm 23, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, and what's the very next line? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's our shepherd leading us through the valley of the shadow of death. So he leads us, but he's with us. This darkness, we need to know this, this darkness that's referenced here in verse 10 is not the darkness of rebellion and unbelief, although that's sometimes what darkness refers to in the Bible. Instead, this is the darkness of hard obedience to the Lord when things are unclear. It's, a, it's the tough path, path of trials and, and uncertainties and suffering when we can't see our way through, especially the Lord is leading us, but we, we, we just don't know what he's doing. And so we need to keep our ears tuned to our shepherd, especially when we can't see where he's leading us. We need to fear the Lord, not our circumstances, not other people. We need to listen to and obey the voice of the servant We need to trust in the name of the Lord and rely on our God, just like it says there in verse 10. So, but you know what it's like in the dark, don't you? I mean, we get panicky. We want light now. We want out now when we're in the midst of suffering. We we don't want to wait on God's timing. We get scared. We get impatient. We're tempted to exchange the voice of Jesus for the glow sticks of our own efforts, our own making. Okay, so look at verse 11. Here's the other option of how you can respond when the servant speaks. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches. That's kind of a metaphor for taking matters into your own hands. Walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. See, it's your doing. This you have from my hand. This is the result of that. You will lie down in torment. Okay, so that is a warning 
It's a warning not to take matters into our own hands when we're walking in the dark. Proverbs 16, 25 says, There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Does that concern you at all? That ought to, like, kind of like a splash of cold water in the face. Oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be blind, thinking I'm going the right way, but I'm actually on the wrong path. I mean, what do you do when you're in the midst of the darkness, when you're in trial, you're suffering, when you're not sure, where do you run? I mean, there's just so many ways that we can run to other saviors, other sources of light, but all of them are just like dollar store lighters, you know? They're all just like matchbook matches, you know, like the paperish ones that burn your fingers in like four seconds if you hold on to it too long. I mean, the best that money can buy is just a spiritual glow stick. So what do you do if it seems you're heading into the dark? The alternatives are actually faith or works. Faith in God's work and promises, trusting him, or trusting in your ability to get out of a jam. Listen to Ray Ortland. When nothing else in our experience makes sense, when we have no visible path forward and everything seems to be closing in around us, what should we do? We should take our stand on the revealed character of God and keep going in his will one step at a time. We should announce to ourselves again and again the promises of the gospel. The bare word of God has the power to stabilize our panicky hearts. Jesus can sustain us with a mere word. So those are our options there in verses 10 to 11. We can stick our fingers in our ears, take matter into our own hands, and grab the flashlight of our own efforts. Or we can listen, listen to the voice of the servant. And you know what ends up happening? We experience Proverbs 4.18. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. See, if you think that God's leading you into the darkness, and it just, this is hopeless, Night's coming. There's just no hope. You're going to look for some other source of light. But if you believe that this is the dark before the dawn, you're going to trust and hang on to Jesus knowing that the day, the sun's going to rise. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And that's moment by moment trusting his word, listening to him and not taking matters into your own hands. So the servant is leading us. He leads us through the darkness, but he knows how to sustain us as we're weary and fearful and anxious, and he can do it just by a mere word. So we can't turn around, <laughs> go our own way. We need to keep going by faith. And faith feeds on grace. So if we're going to keep going forward through the darkness, we need to feed on the grace and truth of God. And that's exactly where this text goes, the beginning of 51. We get more grace. We get three gracious encouragements to listen to the servant. So let's listen, and we can see how this is words to sustain us in our weariness. Point number three, grace to attentive 
servants. So first in verses 1 to 3, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who bore you. For he was but one when I called him that I might bless him and multiply him. Okay, so if you're a Christian, then you are one who pursues righteousness, not in order to gain right standing with God, but because you've been given by grace as a gift, right standing with God. You've got this new heart and you hunger and thirst for righteousness. You see how broken this world is and you, you don't want to listen to the world in its ways. You want to listen to God and follow him in his ways, follow Jesus. So you seek the Lord because you want to know him. You're not trying to earn anything. You just want to have relationship with him. That's what this Christian life is all about. And yet in the darkness, we can struggle with doubts. We can become weary, wonder what God's doing. So look at this encouragement to listen and to keep going, following Jesus. Look to Abraham and Sarah. What's, what's up with this? Why is this reason number one? Why is this an encouragement to listen and to respond? Well, God made a great nation from a too old barren couple. If he can do that, then he can revive the barrenness in our lives in the darkness when we feel like we might be alone or hopeless. So maybe it's your own soul. You just feel dry and barren. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's other relationships. Well, listen to him. This is the God that took this like 100-year-old couple. Are you kidding me? And made them the great parents of a huge nation. So God is saying, listen, I made the world out of nothing. I made people out of dust. I made a nation from an elderly barren couple. I can do this again. Trust me. That's what he's saying. I think that's a pretty good encouragement. <laughs> Look at verse 3. For the Lord comforts, or you could even translate it as, has determined to comfort Zion, the city of God. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden. Her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will, will be found in her. Thanksgiving in the voice of song. So the results of our sin, sin and, the results of our sin, curse, diminishment, things just kind of like unravel and become like a wasteland. God's grace comes in and it's like recreation. It's like creation all over again. Eden all over again. So the word of God, listen, listen falls like seed and rain on the desert of our souls, our circumstances, and our lives can become like the Garden of Eden again. So where there was despair and hopelessness, anybody there right now? Joy and gladness can be found if you listen. Thanksgiving and the voice of song can rise up. Do you believe that? That's what the servant is saying. Do you believe that? Trust me, listen. I can do this with a word. In fact, he can do it right now. So, of course, it's hard to believe in the moment. That's why we need this passage. If you're doing any like, well, yeah, but. If we don't listen to the word of the servant that can sustain us, then, again, we'll end up reaching for other kinds of lights, the light of our own efforts. So, second gracious reason to listen and to trust, he will soon set everything to rights. Look at verses 4 and 5. 
Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation, for a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. My righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me, and for my arm they wait. They wait through the darkness. They're waiting. So this is really good news. Like, for instance, in light of the news of this past week, don't you want God's law and justice to go out and just fill this world, fill this land? Don't you want his righteousness, his salvation? Well, it first comes through the servant, and it comes one heart at a time. And he can help and sustain us through the darkness. And then one day, his justice is going to come with decisive finality on the earth. I love this short little quote by Ortland. He says, we don't like the, the way the world is as it is now. We don't like the way the world as it is now. Neither does God. The difference is that he can change it. Or like Tony Carter said when I read what he had written, what this world needs is Jesus. Sin is our deepest problem. Only Jesus can deal with our sin. So in the darkness, what hope will this world have if you and I don't shine with the light of the gospel? But we can keep our hope set on the day when the world will be set to rights. It's coming. God's not going to let the chaos go on forever. Look at verse 6. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath. For the heavens vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment. And they who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed. So the earth and heavens will pass away, but the salvation of the servant will last forever. Again, it's a reason, it's an encouragement to listen to him. Whoever puts their hope in him will not be put to shame. And then thirdly, this third gracious incentive or encouragement to listen to the voice of the servant and follow him. Look at verses 7 to 8. There's... Lots of cause for fear in the darkness, right? And yet, as we walk through the valley of tears, the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear any evil because our shepherd is with us. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So let's listen. He says, listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation to all generations. In other words, it's like Jesus saying, take heart, I've overcome the world. So remember, he suffered for us and saved us in a way that we could never save ourselves. But also, he's the model disciple. And he listened, and though he was reviled, he was vindicated. And we should listen to the servant and know that though we might be reviled, we also will be vindicated. No power can stand. No case will hold up. In fact, those we might be so tempted to fear, they're just going to pass away. My righteousness will be forever. My salvation to all generations. Okay, so those three incentives and encouragements to listen because the servant alone can sustain us as we walk through the darkness of this broken world. So let me just close with a, a simple observation, a couple of quotes. Because the main point is, listen. Okay, question. Where are your ears? 
answer on the outside of your head. So first, a quote by Ray Ortland. Second, one by Martin Lloyd-Jones. Ortland says, Why do we have ears on the outside of our heads? Why not in the inside? Because we're not supposed to listen to ourselves. I wonder how much of our misery stems from our almost religious devotion to our own thoughts and feelings. But that interpersonal world where you and I live constantly, what relation does it bear to the atmosphere that the gospel creates? We spend every moment of our entire lives within a mental universe. The quality of that environment matters. Are our ears open to the inflowing blessing of God? Do we understand what it means to listen to God? He wants to retune our ears so we can hear the word of God again. That alone is how we escape our fantasies and enter into reality with God. So now a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a medical doctor turned preacher in London um, earlier last century. He wrote, The main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this. So weariness, walking through the darkness, right? That we allow ourselves to talk to us. We allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. Am I just trying to be deliberately paradoxical? Far from it. This is the very essence of wisdom in this matter. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problem of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment, and he's commenting on Psalm 42, was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are you cast down on my soul? He asks. His soul has been repressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what he means? Do you know this? If you do not, you have but little experience. That's Lloyd-Jones offending you, not me. Um, stepping on your toes. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why are you cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope in God. Listen, tune your ears in to the servant. Instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way, and then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is and what God is and what God has done and what God has pledged himself to do. Is that important? In the wilderness, in the darkness. That's everything. Then having done that, end on this great note, defy yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance who is also the health of my countenance and my God. So we end with really good news. <laughs> we have a servant who suffered for us. He was perfectly attentive to the will of his father and he did it all for you. And he suffered all for you. And he is perfectly competent 
to sustain us with a word. So let's listen. Let's pray. Oh God, give us ears to hear. Your sheep hear your voice, Lord Jesus, and they note you, and you know them, and they follow you. So help us to listen and to follow you. For the sake of your great name, we pray. Amen.